Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Kidnor, founder of leading Australian podcast agency, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome back to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Grit, tenacity, courage. The drive to keep showing up despite rejection after rejection after rejection. These qualities are essential for any entrepreneur, peers, but none more so than today's guest, Michael Perry. As the child of two young, working-class parents, it was almost inevitable that Michael would ultimately find his passion in the hustle and grit that is entrepreneurship. Starting multiple businesses throughout his 20s, Michael and everyone around him saw him achieve a lifelong milestone when his company Kit was acquired by none other than Shopify. However, it was making the tough decision to leave his dream job at Shopify and follow his calling to start a new company, Maple, the parenting app, and spend more time with his young family that ultimately led Michael to where he is today. In today's episode, Michael shares with us his journey from street-savvy kid to successful entrepreneur, how he kept getting back up after incredibly challenging setbacks, and why despite the discomfort, it's so important to fiercely listen to your inner voice. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now Post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, welcome Michael. Michael. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Amazing. So, you know, you and I recently connected through our mutual friend and past podcast guest, Caitlin, the amazing KB. And, you know, when I looked into you and all of the awesome work you've done in business over the last, you know, 10 plus years, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm humbled and honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Amazing. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
I would say that I'm a father before anything else. I'm a dad to an amazing son. His name is Leander. He's two years of age and a father to a soon-to-be-born son. My wife is currently five months pregnant with our second son, Solomon. I am a California native, San Francisco Bay Area resident, angel investor, entrepreneur, small business enthusiast. And I would say in some very weird, interesting way, as it is for most entrepreneurs, a bit of a survivalist of just kind of persistently been on this journey of curiosity and self-learning to build meaningful businesses that hopefully have positive impact and change, both in what I produce as a creative as well as what I invest in as, a, as an investor. It's so fascinating, Michael, and I can't wait to dive deeper into your businesses and what you've created and what you're creating. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, what was it like growing up in California? You know, how did that shape you and your view of the world? You know, California is the only place that I've ever been a resident of, ever lived. I did get to spend in my adult years working for a company called Shopify a ton of time in Canada. And I think when you grow up somewhere and don't really move around a lot, you don't really have anything to kind of compare it to. So I don't know what life would have been like growing up anywhere else, but certainly I think uniquely special to the Bay Area and growing up on a tiny town, a little island in the Bay Area called Alameda, a sub-island of that island called Harbor Bay, very underdeveloped, which is crazy to go back to now because there's just so many homes there. I mean, I, I was probably like one of the last generation of kids who grew up and my whole backyard was just like an endless dirt lot that we used to ride our bikes on. But uniquely growing up in the Bay Area, technology at a very early age was always a fabric of my life. I remember growing up and Steve Jobs would be on the news. Apple would be on the news. As that is the industry of the Bay Area, it was very serendipitous and very good fortune to be born there and not have to maybe relocate my life or move somewhere or have the courage that people have to start in technology when that's not the natural kind of epicenter of their town or of their city or of their state from an industry perspective. So growing up in California was awesome. You know, you learn a lot. It's multicultural. I've seen a lot of different things. I grew up in Alameda and eventually moved to Oakland. I saw Oakland go through crazy transitions of having the highest crime rate and murder rate in the country to being gentrified and being an amazing family-friendly place to live. Transplants, locals, I mean, it's, anytime you grow up in a city, I think it's a very unique experience to kind of see people coming and going and what brings them there. And in the case of California, if you're in San Francisco, it's technology, it's software, it's access to nature, it's multicultural, it's, it's an amazing place to get to call home. It's so cool and so awesome, I think. You know, I love asking that question because I think it gives us such a holistic understanding of of the person and kind of why you ended up doing what you did and what you do. You know, talk to us a little bit about Michael, the early years. You know, I saw your first couple of jobs, you studied business, but your first couple of jobs were in sales and kind of car sales, I think it was. Talk to us a little bit about where your head was at growing up in the Bay Area and seeing all this tech, but then also having that business flair. Yeah, I mean, probably one of my super strengths is that my mom and my dad are celebrating their 37th year wedding anniversary today. So congratulations to them. But my mom and dad were really, really young when they had me. My mom was 23. My dad was 25. My mother was a waitress. My father was a car salesman. We grew up in a lower middle class home. My parents worked incredibly hard. Software wasn't like a obvious choice for me to go down. I actually grew up working in small family businesses. My uncle ran a video store called Video Maniacs in Alameda, and I would work there on Saturdays and Sundays for $3 an hour reshelving videos. 
I was getting interviewed earlier today and someone said, when did you decide you wanted to be an entrepreneur? And I never decided. I was the guy who was 10 years old knocking on people's doors asking if I could wash their cars for $10. And all they had to do was supply a towel. And I came with soap and water, basically. So, you know, I think the interesting thing about your question, it was so little about where I grew up and so much about who I grew up with. I think that if you had placed me in Pennsylvania or Australia or anywhere in the world with the parents that I had, um, survival, grit, entrepreneurship, just climbing out of the situation we were in was just so baked into me from day one. My parents weren't surprised when I dropped out of school to go build a company or build a business. They believed that that was my destiny to do that. So it just so happened that I love software and I got into software at an early age because of the imagination and this desire of being connected to people all around the world through things like GeoCities or Friendster or AOL Instant Messenger. But growing up as a kid, growing up in Alameda, growing up as a bit of a sewer rat, it was about the hustle. It was about the grind. It was about having dinner with your family on Sundays. And it was about finding currency and love when you don't have physical paper, gold currency in the bank. It shaped my value system is what it shaped. I'm not someone who cares very much about money. I'm not someone who cares very much about some of the things I think most people care about. I care about my family. I care about loving people. I care about investing my time and energy to do good on this planet. And everything about that came from, from the people I grew up with and surrounded myself with at seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years of age. How can we get clear on our value system if that hasn't been embedded in us at such a young age as it was for you? I think so much about embracing life that people want to ignore is not having the herd mentality, but looking inwards in yourself and seeing what really actually matters to you, not what society thinks should matter to you. I think your values are an articulated reflection of what you want to see in the world and what you want to project into the world. I value equality. So I built a company around family equality. I value racial equality. I value gender equality, sexual orientation equality. Equality is a big value to me because I grew up with mostly women in my life. I grew up with my mother and my sister and my grandmother and my aunts. My dad has five sisters. They all have daughters. And I had cousins who married black men. They have black children. I've seen racial, gender, sexual orientation, inequality in, at a young age. So that had a huge effect on my value system. I've seen being happy while being poor. I've seen being miserable while being rich. It's about allowing for life to shape those values. And for some people, for better or for worse, they happen at a young age. And for some people, they have this second coming of life at a later point, And they realize that the things that they thought mattered actually don't. It's having the good conversations, loving somebody, being selfless is far greater than being selfish. Applying us versus I is a better way of living. Understanding our time here is temporary. It's this way of thinking in life that is only influenced by how we experience life itself. And so it's not age associated. It's not about finding it as a child or finding it as an adult. It's what you're going through in life that allows those things to present themselves. I'm just absolutely loving this, Michael. And I, I want to go a bit deeper into this because I think so many of our peers out there listening are grappling with this idea of who they are, who they want to be, and really what that value set is. And I think a question I've got for you is you've done so much now. You know, you're onto your fourth business and, you know, you had a business acquired by Shopify, who is our sponsor, which we we absolutely love them. I love them too. Shout out to Shopify. Thank you for making commerce better for everybody. Thank you for trying to help push small business owners to the next level. So shout out to Shopify. Yes, yes. 
but you seem so grounded in your values. How can we stay or perhaps find that level of groundedness when we feel so confused, when perhaps we've achieved a lot or perhaps we're just starting out? How can we stay grounded or find that groundedness within us? Well, I can't speak for everybody. I can share what's worked for me. And I think that I'm so grateful for my life. I think that gratitude is the ultimate anchor to living. And I don't know why I'm here on earth. I know that there's statistically a higher unlikelihood of me being here than being here. And so I think I'm just immensely grateful for every opportunity I have to experience life. I'm grateful for experiencing heartbreak. I'm grateful for experiencing loss. I'm grateful for experiencing the highs of life and the lows of life. And I'm grateful for traveling, seeing the world, hugging people, touching people, tasting cultures. This thing called life is a one ticket, or at least in the form of me being Michael Perry is one ticket. I don't know what presents itself next. I'm not going to try to sit here and explain what happens once this physical version of myself is no longer here on earth. And so I think that there's just this like simple sense of reality that everything is completely temporary. I'm not going to be here forever. Wealth is temporary. You don't get to take it with you. Love is temporary. You don't get to take it with you. Relationships are temporary. You don't get to take it with you. Pain is temporary. It doesn't go with you. And so I think when you recognize the fact that we are uniquely living in our own time capsule, you just live life differently. There's nothing that really can upset me that greatly because it's temporary. I don't even feel like I physically own anything because when I die, my kids will sell everything I have, as most children do when their parents pass away. And then they will take that into cash and then they will repurpose that. And then when they die, their children will sell everything. Like it's all temporary. There's no ownership, just your attitude. Your attitude is the only thing that you own on this planet. And it's a temporary ownership until someone takes this physical life away from you. And so I just think that while I'm here, it's like, what do I want to be doing with my time? What do I want to do with this temporary clock? I want to be super kind to people because I think life is super hard. And I want to be super generous and gracious for what I have because life is super hard. And I want to be like propping other people up because I recognize that there's systems in place that benefit heterosexual white men. And so if I can use my platform and use my voice to prop other people up, then I'm going to use my time to do that. And um, I just think people take themselves way too serious. It's just not that serious. We all have one purpose on this planet. It is to take care of each other. That is it. That is our purpose. So many gems from that. I literally feel like that could just be a quote right there. I'm absolutely loving this. I want to dive deeper into the story, you know, so you're hustling and it's all happening. You're working in sales. I think you did that for about five years all up across two companies. Then you go off and start your first business. You would have been in your mid twenties. I'm guessing at that stage, mm-hmm. 25, yeah. 25, live for fame. Talk to us a little bit about the idea for that company, what it was like to start your own hustle and kind of the lessons you learned during that time. So that was 2008. I was 22. I basically, I was standing on a car lot. My father is in the car business and it's a hard life. I had this feeling in my heart that I just wanted to create things and I wanted to solve problems and I wanted to make things that made better people's lives. Like I don't, I was pretty naive to be quite frank. And at that time it was like the web 2.0 era. And I saw this problem, which was that there was this company called thefacebook.com, and it was a college social network. 
And you'd have on one end these highly creative young people who are using Facebook to showcase their life. And then on the flip side, it was like these college parties and people doing keg stands. And like it just didn't feel like these things should be coexisting in that way. Uh, to make a really long story short, I don't want to bore your audience. I basically was standing on this Carla and I was calling my best friend. His name's Andrew Cornett, one of the most talented people that's probably walking this earth right now. And I would say, I got this idea. I got this idea. I got this idea. I got this idea. And he kept being like that shit. And so finally I decided that you know, fuck this, I'm going to do this on my own. And mm-hmm. so I went and bought the URL on GoDaddyLiveForFame.com and bought all the tools. And I just basically spent my nights just trying to build a website. You know, I had no experience, no CS degree. I just had taken Dreamweaver classes, you know, CS classes in high school, but I knew nothing. I basically, after a week, showed him what I had made. And he was like, okay, cool, I'm going to help you, but we got to convince this other guy, Mike Taylor, to join us, and which I did. And Mike ended up being my co-founder for four consecutive companies now. One of the best things that ever happened to me was Mike entering my life in that capacity. But it was a hobby. It wasn't a business. And the the biggest thing about it, and I think the reason why I've been successful in life, by people's definition of success, which would be monetary success, I still would not consider myself a successful entrepreneur because I haven't achieved my own personal goals yet, is that I just love making things. Like, I don't have to be paid to do my job. I don't have to be paid to do this, right? Like, I... I work every day because it's passion. 15 years straight, it's been passion. And Live for Fame was the perfect gateway drug to entrepreneurship because I didn't know what I was doing. It wasn't that serious of a business, but yet thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people were using the product and they loved it and it made a difference in their life. And it was basically kind of like, to be honest with you, it was like a web version of Instagram. People would upload a photo and people would star the photos that they liked and it voted those photos up for the day. And it was a super simple, fun product for the web. And when that business ended up collapsing, I had just made a decision at that point that regardless if I was going to die a rich man or die a poor man, I was going to give myself to building software for the rest of my life. Like, I just loved it. I love building things that touch so many people across so many different places on this planet. And I just felt like I could give more of this. And I was, you know, at that time in my early 20s. And I'm like, I got tons of time to figure this out. And, you know, 15 years later, here I am. For those of us who are, you know, in our early 20s or in our 20s in general and we're still trying to figure it out, you know, we we're perhaps we're still studying or in our jobs and we just don't know if this is like 100%. We have this urge to do something more but we don't know what that is. How do we get clear on what it is that we actually want to do? Well, I think that there's a harsh reality there, which is we're always all still just trying to figure it out. <laughs> That doesn't fit. I mean, I think it's so common. People say, I'm in my 20s. I'm trying to figure out. Well, I'm 35 and I'm still trying to figure it out. And when I'm 45, I hope I'm still trying to figure it out. And when I'm 55, I still hope I'm trying to. When I'm 85, I hope I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, Because that means that I'm growing and I'm learning and my positioning on life and my views are, are changing. Trying to figure it out means that your heart is still beating. It's a beautiful thing to be able to still try to figure it out. Having all the answers is boring. So for anyone that's 20 that's listening to this, find comfort in that and be challenged actually to always try to figure it out. The second thing is that I think that society puts so much pressure on us to say, hey, this is what you're supposed to be doing with your life. This is nonsense. This is all man-made. That is not what we're supposed to be doing with our life. If you listen to the voice inside of you, I believe that that's the universe guiding you on what you're supposed to be doing. And when it came to software, I didn't know how to write a line of code. I didn't know how to build a software company. I'm still trying to figure it out. But my voice says, this is what you're supposed to be doing. And 
when there's been times when I was standing on a car lot making shit tons of money selling cars, my voice was saying, this isn't for you. And when I was trying to become a recruiter to figure out my way of tech, there was a voice in me that said, this isn't for you. And when I was at Shopify at the end, the voice was saying, this isn't for you. And some people choose to ignore that voice because they're scared or they're comfortable. And then some people, the very few, these are the most courageous people on the planet, is that they don't care about the judgment of the decision. They don't care about what society thinks. They don't care what their parents think. I think it matters what your life partner thinks because you're in this together. But they have the willingness and the boldness at any point of time to say, this is no longer for me. And that may mean being a doctor for 20 years and being like, this is no longer for me and reinventing yourself. The privilege of living as humans is that we're not trees. We're not stuck in one position. We have the good fortune at any time, any time that we're breathing, to take the information that we have in hand about ourselves, about the world, about where we want to go, and we as a species get to make a decision. And so I would say keep experimenting, keep trying, keep finding something until that voice says, stay here for a little bit. This is you. This is what you're supposed to be doing. It may be hard, but like try. And it's going to get harder, but keep trying. But the voice is telling you what you're supposed to be doing. You may not like the outcome. You may not like the idea of being a poor artist. You may not like the outcome of not having a mansion. You may not like the outcome of not driving a Range Rover. You may not like that outcome, but your voice is telling you what will make your unique DNA set happy. It's the courageous ones that listen to that voice. And those people actually are the ones that go to change the world because they're so committed that they'll do that job regardless of money, regardless of all the other things, whether that's hosting a podcast, whether that's reinventing school, whether that's being the doctor that figures out how to save people's lives or being an entrepreneur or being an artist or being a musician. It's those people that listen to that voice that change the world. How can we gain the courage to better listen to that voice? It's so hard. It's super hard. And, some, and, and to be honest with you, it's, some people never do. Hmm. they go through life and they don't that's why the people that do are the special ones they they walk off this planet with no regret because they listened when was a time where you didn't listen to that voice i think for the last year i was at shopify because i was really i love shopify as a company and i love harley the president of shopify He's just such a good person. And Toby is just such an insanely smart guy. And at the time I was working for, for the chief product officer who's no longer there, Craig. I mean, I just, I left the best of the best of the best. I cried my last two weeks at Shopify. I cried on my going away, see y'all later, because there was so much about me that wanted to stay. But my voice was saying no. And for a year, I tried to tell that voice, shh. I'm, I'm finally here. I've made it. I'm a senior director at a publicly traded company. I'm public facing in a publicly traded company. I have all the material things I need. I, I'm helping people. I'm, I'm doing what I've been on this 10-year journey to do. But the voice was saying, this is not what you're intended to do. And for a year, I struggled. And I tried and I tried and I tried. And finally, I woke up one day and said, I can't live a life of a lie. I can't, I, I have to be authentically myself, even if I don't like the decision that I have to make. Um, 
I won't be anything but the best version of myself. Uh, and there's a lot of people who thought I was, you know, crazy for leaving one of the hottest companies in the world at a super, I mean, people were shocked when I was like, I'm, I'm leaving. And it still hurts. I mean, I still love Shopify. I was talking to Harley yesterday over text message and I was like, I miss you. I miss, I miss the people there. But like, that's not what my destiny had intended for me. And I'm incredibly happy. And I feel comp- my voice is telling me this is where I belong running Maple. It's just so tough. And I think so many of us can relate, you know, to a time where we just, oh my goodness, our our insides were like, yes, stay, but go, you know, do this, but don't. I mean, the easiest way of looking at it, I think is, and I don't mean to cut you off, is like, I think people, the easiest and the most common place to finding it is when people are in a relationship and they know they don't want to do the hard work. They're like, I don't want to be with this person anymore. And their voice is telling them. And they're kind of like, God, but he's so nice or she's so great. Like, I should like yeah. this person. Like, But your voice is like, I don't love this person. Yeah. And some people don't listen. And then they're in a loveless or angry marriage or whatever. Like, they don't want to be in it. But they didn't want to deal with the judgment of leaving a great person. Right? And then there's sometimes where people are like, I, it's not you. It's me. Oh, my God. That's where the saying, it's not you, it's me, comes from. Is that Your voice is telling you that this is not the right life partner for you, right? And so the problem is that very few people want to listen to that voice as it relates to their career. Very few people don't want to listen to that voice as it relates to school. Very few people don't want to, li- like, and so they go down these paths of unhappy marriages, but the marriage is to their profession. It's to the place that they live. It's to, like, it's all, it's the same thing over and over again. And the voice, the voice inside yourself, that is the universe talking to you. That is the universe talking to you. Not you talking to you, it's the universe talking to you. And so ignoring that voice is a humongous mistake. My goodness, I, I just couldn't agree more. You guys can't see me, but I'm absolutely like nodding my head, like going for it. I just, I, yeah, I so agree. Amazing. So I want to talk a little bit about the creation of Kit. For you guys that don't know, that was a company that was acquired by Shopify. Talk to us a little bit about giving and then how that led to Kit and what were the first few steps that you took to really get it off the ground? This is where the journey gets dark. Um, so after after Live for Fame, which I was doing Live for Fame while I was selling cars. Um, so I was selling cars and then on nights and weekends, which there is no weekends in the car business, but on my days off, which that may be like a Wednesday or a Tuesday, um, I would work like just hardcore on Live for Fame. And after that business closed, I, I just really said, I don't want to quit on entrepreneurship. I don't want to quit on software. And so I'm actually going to get out of the car business and I need to learn about software and I'm going to go take a job as a technical recruiter. And so I made up all these fake job posts and I recruited all these people randomly that I got to meet to come work at giving. And I just continued to work at this job and pay people, like literally take my salary and pay out all my money to try to get these people to build giving for me. And at finally, at one point, my wife, who back then was my girlfriend, you know, I, I was listening to my voice and I didn't have the courage to act on that voice, but she had the courage to push me to act on that voice. And she just said, this is what you want. This is who you want to be. Like, you got to just go for it. And so I went full time working on giving. I got turned down by 30 or 40 investors um, to make a long story short, it was a first of its kind mobile application that helped brick and mortar businesses build out a customer base, build out a CRM service. And I really, you know, to backtrack a little bit, I decided to get into small business technology because I loved 
small business owners. My uncle was a small business owner. My grandfather was a small business owner. My dad and I worked at this car dealership that was owned by a, a family business. And so I wanted to commit my life to small business owners. So we signed up 600 businesses, 20 different universities, like door-to-door sales, and the business just like basically collapsed. And at that point, I was, I don't know, like $70,000, $65,000, somewhere in there in debt. I had maxed out all my credit cards, sold my car. My girlfriend back then was working two different jobs, paying our bills. Like, you know, you're 25, 26, 27. You're just trying to do whatever you can do, right? So at that time, giving was shutting down. Um, my wife and I, at that point, had just gotten married. Her grandmother had just died. And I basically was like, we felt like we were both at rock bottom. And I just couldn't bring myself to quit. I just couldn't quit. So then I started this idea for Kit, which was at that point a complete CRM. So I said, okay, we can't do a consumer product and a CRM product because that's what giving was, right? People would download this app and use this digital punch card. And we sold that to small businesses for the CRM tool. So I'm like, okay, drop the digital punch card portion of giving. Let's start this thing called Kit, which is short for keep in touch. And let's build a CRM service for small businesses. So here we go again. We're a year into the business. I, at that point, had taught myself how to code. I was our front-end engineer. My co-founder was working kind of like part-time nights and weekends. And we were hammering and hammering and hammering and hammering and hammering. We got interns hammering and hammering. Again, turned down by investor. Turned down by investor. Turned down by. So I'm like, 10 people said no. 20 people said no. 30 people said no. 40 people. And at this point, I started just writing down every single investor that was saying no. I was writing down their name on my living room wall in Sharpie. And I was just angry. And I was like, I'm going to make all these people regret not investing in me, which is not really overly healthy. But that's where we were at at that stage of the business. And so, you know, I started calling all the small business owners who are using Kit. And I would just say like, hey, we built this incredible technology that allowed for people to run Facebook ads. We were kind of like an innovator in like the lookalike audience. I don't know how familiar you are with these things, but marketing technology was like the, the big push for, for Kit. And they all just kept saying the same thing like, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't trust people. I don't want to hire people. I don't have money. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. And, you know, it's tough being a small business owner and I empathize with it. And so my wife at that time was quitting her job at UCSF. She was doing breast cancer research and transitioning to work at a different company. And her going away present was to go to this. They paid for us to go two nights to this hotel up at this very tiny town called um, Sea Ranch up in northern, northern California. It's about four hour drive north of San Francisco on the coast magical place. I mean, the mountains meet the ocean, town of 300 homes, like super, super. If you can like, at at the end of this podcast, go Google the Sea Ranch, just absolutely magical place. And so business is super struggling. You know, I was 27 at that point. We had raised a little bit of money, about $800,000 in venture capital. Team was like three people, four people at, at that point. And I just went up there and I had this crazy idea about Instead of me calling all these people to like basically ask for their permission to log into their account and like press a button for them, what if they could just text message our service and just by text messaging the service, the ad would run. And so I started working on this idea of text messaging a fake person named Kit versus logging into a software account. And so we started working at that in 2014. Fast forward, by the end of 2015, We were the number one company in the world for buying small ads for Facebook buyers, number one marketing app on Shopify, number one on BigCommerce, number one on Etsy. We were growing at about 100% month over month over month over month over month over month. The company went from three employees to 10 employees, million dollars of venture capital, just like like that. 
my whole world changed. My whole life changed. And um, going into 2016, you know, Forbes named me, you know, 30 under 30 for marketing technology. And to make a, you know, incredibly long story short, at that point, we we did something very wisely at, at the end of 2014, which was file a patent for the ability to buy digital advertisements over text message. And it was in a provisional state. And um, we started getting a lot of different offers from people wanting to buy the business. And um, we didn't want to sell to any of them until one company in particular came and knocked on our door. And that company was Shopify. And they were our biggest partner. They were our largest source of revenue. And just some a company that we just deeply aligned with their values of how they saw the world and how they wanted to help people. And... You know, when when a company like Shopify in 2016 knocks on your door and it's you just admire everyone who's there, you have to listen. And um, it was the greatest honor and experience of my life next to becoming a father and a husband of um, them incorporating us into their business and buying the company and all of our intellectual. Oh, my God. And the rest (laughs) is history. Like life has been very different since then. The rest is history. Oh, my goodness. There's so much I want to unpack there. I think the number one thing that stands out is just how do you go from rock, rock bottom to literally being like, how are we going to eat tomorrow to like, but I have to keep going and I need to start this again and start all over. How do you do that? How do you get through that? Because the voice, the voice, I never don't listen to my internal voice. My voice never told me to quit. My voice always told me to keep going. I mean, the lows were like my sister, who's two years younger than me, would bring home her leftover lunch. And my wife and I would split a half of a sandwich, and that would be the only thing we both ate for the day. You know, but my life has gone from being someone who couldn't afford a cup of coffee to someone who can buy a coffee shop. So I just, I never gave up on myself. I never will give up on myself. There's no amount of failure that will ever have me quitting on myself. And there's no amount of success that will keep me on this path. Like if my voice tells me it's time to hang it up, then it's time to hang it up. I believe in the universe talking to me. And in all of those darkest, hardest moments, I wasn't going to let someone else define the outcome of my life or any failure define the outcome of my life. I was going to let myself and my actions and my belief system define who Michael Perry was going to be at the end of this journey. And I'm still trying to figure out who that person is. I'm a constant student of myself. And I'm just trying to be that best person. But you have to believe in who you want to become like more than anything else. No one, no one's going to let you become who you want to become. How do we get better at believing in who we want to become? I just think that people think they want it, but they don't actually want it. Like I couldn't live with quitting. And it's not quitting. I couldn't live with not being a good entrepreneur. Same way I couldn't live with, not, with being a bad father. Like I, I work very hard at being a good father. I, I'm not going to, like you are not going to get outcomes that you want without hard work. You're not going to have a good marriage unless you work hard at your marriage. You're not going to be physically fit unless you go to the gym. You're not going to be mentally fit unless you meditate. You're not going to be healthy unless you eat right. You're not going to be successful unless you work hard. There's no such thing as the hope strategy. There's no such thing as like winning the lottery in every aspect of life. Right? So if you really, 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 really want it more than you want oxygen, more than you want to breathe, um, you're going to work super hard and not give up on that. If you don't really want it, then it doesn't hurt to let it go. It doesn't hurt. And that's also the universe telling you it's not for you. It's okay. Anything that I've let go of that doesn't hurt, where the pain is so temporary, it's not a permanent thing, then it's okay. But giving up on myself and letting my dreams go, that will take death. That will take way more than hitting rock bottom. 
That's a part of the journey. That's a part of the wisdom. Failure is my competitive advantage. No one's failed more than me. How can we reframe how we see failure? Well, it's how you define failure. Like for me, I, you know, when I say no one has failed more than me, I mean no one has been willing to learn more than me. I view failure as just quitting, right? Like everything is acquired knowledge. What works is acquired knowledge. What's not working is acquired knowledge. If something's working well, you're learning that this is working well. If something's not working well, you're learning that this is not working well, right? And so I think that being open and receptive and patient on playing the long game, playing the infinite game, playing the life journey game, not allowing someone else to establish the timeline or clock of success. Like if somebody told you right now, and I don't even know, and I haven't been able to ask Michelle a question yet, what what is your (laughs) biggest ambitions or goals or dreams? And if you were able to articulate what you saw for yourself in a fearlessly, if you're able to fearlessly and courageously and honestly put out there what you wanted to experience on this very short ride for this very short thing called life, if you're willing to be that courage, like if you're willing to be that deep and someone just said, this will happen for you, I won't tell you when, but it will happen as long as you keep trying. Would you give up? The answer is no, if you really want it. The problem is that people look for instant gratification and things like Instagram have made us 20x worse in this and they don't want to wait around. They don't want to find out. They don't want to do the work. They don't want to, like, the joy is in the journey. It's not in the end. It's the process, not the results. The best parts of Kit wasn't how much money I made from Kit. It was the joy of building Kit. And the best part of Maple won't be whatever it financially brings me because I don't care about that. It'll be in the process of seeing, am I capable of helping 100 million people in my lifetime? Because that's my ultimate goal, right? And I may not get there, but I will try. Oh my goodness. Just yes. I want to talk about Maple. I want to talk about your next big dream. You know, talk us through where the idea was born from and and kind of what it is and where you're at with it now. So after I sold Kit to Shopify, I had this definition of success. And there's two things happening in parallel. One was I achieved all the financial success I'd ever dreamed of and more. And all the awards that you think matter, the Forbes, the Inc. Magazine, the Business Insider, the every accolade any business professional could ever dream of outside of being on the cover of Forbes magazine or being on the cover of Entrepreneur magazine. Like I, I, I tasted it and yet I felt so fucking empty inside. And that voice at that time was saying, is this it? Is this, is this all you can do? Is this what your life will be defined by? Helping small business owners with their marketing? Is this what life is? And while that was all happening in parallel, my wife and I were finding out we couldn't naturally have a child. And thanks to the grace of generous people who advanced IVF research over a period of time, my wife and I were able to have a son. And I just remember, and I will never forget it, it's the most important five seconds of my life, holding him for the first time. And it just felt like all the oxygen had left the room. Like it genuinely felt like time had come to a halt. I didn't care anymore about these things. I didn't care about 
titles. I didn't care about wealth. I didn't care about cars. I didn't care about going to Las Vegas and partying. I didn't care about like, I didn't care about anything but my son. And I, that, that mindset has never changed since that day. He's the only thing. My family is the only thing that matters to me. My time here on this earth is, is consumed by how many great moments I can experience with them. And I found myself for the first time in 10 years no longer wanting to sit at the intersection of technology and small business owners, but wanting to invent a new industry because I don't think family technology existed. I couldn't find anything. And I went back to work. I went back to building great products for small business owners for, for a year and a half. And I just couldn't find anything that allowed for me to be the best father possible. And I couldn't find anything that would make life easier for parents. And so I decided in that short period of time, you know, where I struggled listening to that voice about staying or leaving, because I was, you know, very proud of the work we were doing at Shopify. I just knew that the tone of the voice inside of me um, said that like parenting or being a part of a family is the utopia of life. It is life at its very best, whether people want to see that or not. The selflessness that goes into loving somebody at that level is the highest expression of life. And the parental experience is not the same for everybody. It's not equally fair, right? Jay-Z and Beyonce's experience with all their wealth and all their help is radically different than mine, which was radically different than my 23-year-old mother's who was waiting tables to save coins to buy me shoes while she went to work with holes in hers, Right? And so if I could take the best of technology, the best of my brain power, the best of my ability, if I could build something, if I could do something, if I could start a movement, if I can get the best, brightest people in the world to come with me on this journey and say, like, what if we change this for our kids? What if parenting was less hard for them? What if life became more about the moments with family and less about the time spent with the shit you don't want to be doing? What does reinventing support look like? What does help look like? What does a quality of a household look like? I started asking myself these questions about what kind of father did I want my son to be someday? What kind of father did I want to be today? What would it look like if I didn't have the financial resources that I had? And I think Maple was birthed from a lot of these very just like deep moments, these almost like second coming of life moments for me to, to recognize that there's only one thing I will miss when I leave this earth, and that's my children. And there's only one thing that I'll regret when I leave this earth, and that's not spending more time with my children. That's it. It's that simple. Everything else is man-made complexity. We just don't have the discipline to see it. So powerful. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So talk to us a little bit about how you go from having that shift just like internally, emotionally, energetically in every form to, okay, how do I distill this down into like a viable thing that I'm going to pursue and I'm going to leave my job and my old company and all that stuff? Like how do we then distill that down into something that we can actually create and that's viable? That's a challenging process for any creative. It's like, how do you, how did Prince write Purple Rain? Like- <laughs> Things move around, pieces get changed. Like there is a bit of a process. The, the process with building a great company is first recognizing a big problem and a problem that you are deeply passionate about. And not only a problem that you're deeply passionate about, but a problem that's affecting people that you're deeply passionate about. When, I'm, when it's late at night 
and I'm working on maple and I'm tired, I know that there's someone out there that was like my mother and like my father who's young, too young to be having children, and they are trying their damnedest. They're trying their hardest because every parent, regardless of race, social class, sexual orientation, religious belief, every parent wants the same thing for their child, and that's the very best. Everyone has the best of intentions for their kids. Everyone wants their kids to have it better than they had it. I want it better than my kids to have it. And I hope my son wants his kids to have it better than he had it, right? Like it's, it's wired in us. And um, when you kind of land on that problem and you feel connected to that community, then you have to start having the discipline to start having the patience to be on the long, long journey, which we have, we're still on, of building the right product to solve that problem. And it's the commitment to the problem. It's the commitment to the people. It's not commitment to the product, right? You have to have the courage to say, this is not the product. I've wasted a year on this. Throw it away. Start over, right? You have to be willing to cannibalize your own ideas. You have to be willing to work hard on behalf of everybody else. I think people grossly underestimate who know me, who are around me, who watch me, who follow me. I think they grossly underestimate the servitude that I feel for the people that I build for. And I'm here for them. I don't have to work. I don't even take a paycheck. I work for free. I'll never take a paycheck for the company for the rest of my life. I'm here because I believe that there's a difference that has to be made. I believe it. And if this isn't the product, start over. And if that's not the product, start over. And if that's not the product, start over. But I'm not abandoning the problem. And I'm not abandoning the people. And if I have to spend the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, if I have to do this until the universe says, or that voice says no more, then that's what I do. And it's just commitment to that. It's not looking for results tomorrow. It's looking at solving the problem because I got 30 years. 30 years from now, my son might be becoming a father. That's my clock. That's, that's the clock I'm racing against. Can I get this done before it's his turn? Can I do it better for him? You know, can I make the world better for him? I ask myself that every single day. What can I do to make the world better for him? What companies can I invest in to make the world better for him? What products can I build to make the world better for him? What people can I put around me? What city should I live in? Everything is about my son. Everything. Maple is the Taj Mahal for Leander and Solomon. Maple is my body of work, my company for them. And the way that I want the world to be seen for them. And what maple should represent in terms of equality. And that people should experience life in the same way. And that they have an obligation as, as men, as white men, as whether heterosexual or gay, they have an obligation to equally fight for that, for that world. That is their responsibility that I'm bestowing upon them. And if I can't live that, walk that, talk that, do that for the rest of my life, I can never ask that of them. Oh my goodness. So, so true. I just, everything you say, Michael, just nod my head. I'm absolutely loving this, but I'm mindful of your time. So I've got a couple kind of final questions for you. Okay. And by the way, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure getting to chat with you. Of course. This is, the pleasure is all mine. Firstly, I want to take a moment to acknowledge you, Michael, for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing for showing us that it's so much more than just the external pretty kind of accolades. And if we dig deep enough, we'll be able to find something we are actually truly passionate about and dedicate, hopefully, if we have the courage, our work and our life to that. And for that, we really appreciate you. Thank you. Amazing. So look, Michael, the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, and that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? There's so many things I don't know. There's so many things we all don't know. 
One thing I know for certain, because I do think that I am someone who has been willing to live a life of passion and pursuing that, is that when the time comes, I won't regret how I spent my time. I won't have any regret because I, I, I'm doing exactly what I love and there will never be regret associated. You will never regret doing what you love, no matter what the outcome is. Michael, ladies and gentlemen, oh my goodness, we've had a blast. Where can we learn more about you, Maple and Kit? Well, I'm I'm not anyone worth learning more about, but certainly <laughs> um, Maple is uh, growmaple.com. We're at growmaple, I believe, on Twitter and Instagram. And for those that are curious about me, I'm at Michael Perry. And all things kind of Kit and my body of work at Shopify can all be found at shopify.com amazing oh my goodness thank you so much again michael it's been so thank awesome. you and for everyone else listening we will end with that thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the peers to peers podcast powered by shopify remember peers we're here to help you turn your passion into a business and so is shopify and so if you're looking to start your biz head to shopify.com.au your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest beer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review we produce with passion and it doesn't stop here to see what else we're up to visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on instagram at thepeersproject we'll have fresh real talk for you next week peers until then if you need inspiration look amongst you